And um, now we need to move forward. You know, we need to move forward under, under Christ, who's, who's the head of the church. We need, we need to pray for the church. We need to earnestly call out to our Lord for, uh, for wisdom and uh, for his help in, in loving one another as, as we need to do, as we're commanded to do. And I'd, I'd like to read again a, a passage that I read last Sunday from uh, Hebrews 12, which I think really captures um, what I'm trying to say here. Um, let, us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of, of the throne of God. So, you know, we need, to, we need to lay aside the things that are holding us back and, and move forward, you know. And um, like I said Sunday, my, I, I see hope. I see really good hope for our church. Uh, and my hope is that we can move forward in a, a positive manner, uh, maybe, a, maybe a new beginning for, for our church. And uh, it was, it's kind of a, you know, the, the, the timing, I just, I just happened to hit that section of the scripture, which is talking about uh, being subject to the government. And uh, I, I know that, that that really ruffled some, I know for sure, because I got a couple uh, phone calls and visits on, on that sermon, but... Uh, you know, I guess um, I guess we're we're all free to open up our Bible and cross out the verses that we don't like, right? Um, anyway, uh, we're we're continuing this week on the uh, on this theme of of submission. You know, we talked about government. We talked about the workplace last week, and now we're we're talking about marriage. We're talking about wives and and husbands. And I uh, read this thing uh, after author Philip Yancey and his wife reached their, their 20th or 25th wedding anniversary. He reflected on their experience. And he said, before marriage, each by instinct strives to be what the other wants. Before marriage. The young woman desires to look sexy and, and to take up interest in sports. The, the young man notices plants and flowers and you know, works at asking questions instead of just answering mono, monosyllabic, monosyllabically. One, one syllable words. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> After marriage, the process slows and somewhat reverses. Each insists on his or her rights. Each resists bending to the other's will. And he goes on to say, after years, though, the process may subtly begin to reverse again. I sense a new willingness to bend back toward what the other wants. Maturely this time, not out of a desire to catch a mate, but out of a desire to please a mate who has shared a quarter century of life. He says, I grieve for those couples who give up before reaching this stage. And um, I, I think that's, that's beautiful. You know, how do, how do we as Christians see marriage? Uh, how, does, how does the world see marriage? I think that uh, maybe sometimes the world 
tends to influence us as, as Christians. And it seems to me that everything in popular culture is, is working against an, an attitude within the marriage relationship of laying down our, our rights and, and honoring each other. Our, our text this morning uh, continues First Peter 3. It's, um, or First Peter starts in First Peter 3, 1 through 7. And, uh, you know, we, we need to remember, P- Peter's pointed this out, that we're different. We're different. He, he starts out that way. We're, we're the elect exiles. We're, we're sojourners. We're, we're resident aliens. And, uh, you know, he goes on, we're, we're a holy nation. We're, we're a chosen people. We're a, a royal priesthood. We're, we're very different. You know, we don't live according to the world's standards. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't live according to those standards of self-exaltation and honoring ourselves and demanding our rights. We're called to give of ourselves. We're called to put the other first. We're called to even lay down our very lives as Jesus did for the other. And, uh, you know, I believe that Christianity is countercultural. In, in every context, God's way is better. Uh, his, his perfect wisdom puts human wisdom to shame. You know, God, and God's wisdom here says, honor everyone. Honor everyone. That was, that was from that one verse. Honor everyone. And as we continue, we're going to see how this honor of the other needs to play out in the realm of marriage. How husbands and wives should be towards one another. So read with me uh, in chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the, women, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Um, Lord, I pray that you um, just instill your wisdom in us. Lord, change our, change our hearts. We, we, need, we need to say that prayer, I think, every day, Lord. Change our hearts, transform our minds, Lord. Make us into uh, the, the people you want us to be, the, the husbands and the, the wives that, that we need to be. In Jesus' name. So, having been told to be subject to the governing authorities, Servants being subject to, to their masters. Uh, Peter continues talking about selflessness in, in our relationships with others. That's, that's the theme here. In chapter 3, he addresses husbands and wives. 
And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of preachers squirm when they, when they cover a passage like this, you know, and since we go through a, a, a book verse by verse, we, we can't skip it. And the, the, the tendency I've sometimes seen is uh, an, an unbalanced coverage of this. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a touchy subject. And because we're, we're all rebellious and, and we like to put ourselves first, uh, let's, let's just see if we can uh, realize that this is God's word for wives and husbands and that God means what he says. Uh, so, you know, in, in other words, we're, we're going to have to be countercultural here. We're going to have to look at God's word and, and take it seriously. Remember in uh, this book, chapter 2, verse 17, Peter said, uh, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And I, I, th- I think we need serious work on all of these, you know, especially the honor everyone part. You know, it's, and it's particularly important in our, our households. So since Peter begins with wives, we'll start there. Notice that he, he dedicates, uh, what, six verses to the wives and one verse to the, to the husbands, to the husband. Um, I'll just say that without commentary. But that's, that's okay. That's okay. I think, I think perhaps Paul does the, uh, the reverse. In, uh, in Ephesians. Anyway, uh, he, he starts out saying that, that wives need to be subject to their husbands. Be subject to your husbands. This is, this is the starting place for wives in honoring their husbands. And maybe this doesn't come natural to you. Maybe you're thinking there's no maybe about it. You know, for many of us, some, something in our flesh just, just wells up, doesn't it? when we're told to be subject to someone else. What's the root of this tendency? Rebellion. We're, we're rebellious people. I'm a rebellious person, and I need a lot of work from the Lord on that account. And as sinful people, we, we have an aversion to uh, submitting to anyone, anyone, even God. That's what got us into trouble in the first place. We don't have to read very far in the Bible. Just just start reading in Genesis from the start. And uh, we, we see that uh, back in Genesis, after our earliest parents decided to uh, do their own thing, go their own way and disobey God, God lays out to Adam and Eve, what are the consequences of, of their sin? He says something very interesting to Eve in Genesis uh, 3.16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, there's something very intriguing here, I think. You know, the part where God says to the woman, your desire will be contrary to your husband. And different translations translate this uh, a little bit differently. We need to look at this. Uh, this is a look at a, a, a struggle that's been going on ever since between man and woman. The, the Lord announces this, this struggle. She'll, she will desire to control him, and he'll desire to 
dominate her. Do you see the uh, the beginning of a, of a conflict there? You know, this, this gives us a good insight into how this should be understood. Instead of a wife's motive being toward her husband, it's about sin's intentions towards her husband. The same... The same phrase, the same words exactly appear later on in uh, 4.7. God says to Cain after he kills Seth, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you. So sin's desire is contrary to Cain. Woman's desire is contrary to man. It's a desire to control and dominate to, to Eve, God is saying, your, your selfish rebellion is going to come out in the way you relate to each other. There's going to be conflict. And conflict there is. So this, this is an indictment here really on, on both men and women. Uh, nobody needs to feel picked. Well, everybody needs to, be able to feel picked on. We're going to pick on everybody here. Equal, equal treatment here. The Holy Spirit through Peter is going to help us make this right in what he says. He's saying to wives, lay down what you think is your right to control your husband. And to husbands, he's saying, lay down what you think is your right to dominate your wife. Wives, the, the, the command to submit to your husband uh, does, does not mean that you're inferior to your husband. doesn't mean that men are of greater worth than women. It doesn't mean that husbands have the, uh, the sanction from God to, to be abusive with their wives. That's, that's never how godly leadership of any type is to be. You know, marriage in the Bible is, is seen in terms of being like the relationship between Christ and the church. In the Old Testament, it's God and, and his people. Um, God says that Christ will trample on Satan, but never does the Bible say that Christ will trample on the church. You know, the, the relationship isn't necessarily master to servant, but it's lover to the beloved. So this, this is not saying that wives should be okay with being abused. If you know if you're if you're in a situation that's not safe, if your children are not safe, you need to get help. Something else I'd like to point out that this passage is talking about the marriage relationship. It's talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. It's not all men to all women in general. You know, it's not, it's not saying, for example, in the church that all women are subject to all men. In the same manner that a wife is subject to her, to her husband. You know, in, in a sense, we're all subject to each other. But none of us should ever elevate ourselves above another. We're, we're all servants to each other in the family of God. So this scripture is talking about one wife, one husband, and how they relate to each other. A godly woman does not control her husband. However, she should influence her husband. There's a difference. That's 
sub point two, be a good influence. Peter says that a woman should be able to win her husband by her conduct without a word, without an argument, won over without that her without the wife being controlling. You know, Paul gives some insight on what this winning over looks like in general in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.19 when he's talking about um, winning over the, the unsaved. He says in this verse, though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So this is influence. Paul's talking about operating from gentleness and self-sacrifice as opposed to controlling and, and domineering. And Peter says it's better as a husband to be won over willingly than grudgingly. He says, even if some do not obey the word, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And I think this principle is true in all human relationships. You know, we're more likely to win somebody over with a healthy attitude by being kind and, and respectful than by being contentious and, and argumentative. You know, this is, this is challenging because we have a hard time being quick to listen and slow to speak, right? As James says, we need to be. But our, our attitudes and our actions, they, they speak volumes. You know, we can, we can turn a person away from God or we can help draw a person to him by our attitude and our actions. Yeah, this leads to looking at a woman's heart. Paul talks about, or Peter talks about inward beauty, uh, a, a gentle and a, a quiet spirit. He says, do not let adorning be external. <coughs> the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is precious. And I think this this has been under, or misunderstood by some over the years. You know, I don't believe he's saying that women should not braid their hair, that women should not wear jewelry, or, or that women shouldn't wear clothes. <laughs> he's he's saying that a wife's true beauty is that which comes from within. You know, your, your inner being strengthened and, and in line with, with the Holy Spirit with, within you. You know, that, that, that's what real attractiveness is. You know, our outer beauty is fleeting. Uh, the, the styles of, of adornment and, and clothing are, they come and go, right? You think you look really good today and next, next year it's, it's passe, you know, the, the greatest value comes from a godly heart, the, the inner adornment, the, the imperishable beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. And look at this. It says God himself, himself finds this precious. And maybe, maybe you think a lot is being asked of, of, of a wife, and, and maybe you're right, but, you know, the expectations are high in the family of God. Uh, I think that the world, worldly wisdom would, would maybe laugh at this stuff, maybe would mock it, saying that, you know, women need to be strong and the, the world would encourage women to say, you know, if I submit, if I take on a quiet and gentle spirit, I'm going to be walked on. I won't be respected. Uh, 
I can just say for myself as, as a husband, uh, you know, I, I'm going to have a lot more respect for inner beauty than outward control and, and militant behavior. Peter goes on to uh, say that this is the example set by godly women in the, uh, in the scriptures. He says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. <laughs> I remember uh, hearing about this this one woman who had a really hard time with with this verse. You know, she she could not bring herself to to think about a woman being subject to her husband or calling him Lord. Chris and I had to talk about this uh, as, as I was preparing this. You know, this comes from misunderstanding the, the verse. Uh, this this isn't saying that you know the, the husband has a, a the status of a god or, or a demigod. You know, it's it's a it's a term of polite address. And I I wanted to look up the word and see how this was used in the Old Testament. And it's used in a lot of different ways. It's it's used elsewhere as a, a it's a, a, a polite address used by a wife to the husband, a daughter to a father, brother to brother, a wife to a stranger, a, a king to a prophet, uh, several people to an individual. Also used as um, a full address, like my Lord Moses, my Lord Elijah, my Lord the king. In the, in the New Testament, the same word is used, uh, kurios, for Lord. And... Uh, Calling somebody Lord in that culture would be equivalent to calling somebody Sir today. In fact, uh, Mary Magdalene in Jesus' tomb, remember she, she was talking to this man who ended up being Jesus, but she thought, it was, she thought it was the gardener. And she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. It was that word that same word that's translated Lord. It's a term of polite address. Now, maybe some husbands would like for their wives to treat them like gods, but it's like calling someone sir. Uh, We spent a few years in the South, and I picked up a habit of calling people sir. You know, the, the... the guy at the gas station or whatever, you know, sir, I would call women ma'am. You know, I, I think we lived there long enough for me to earn the right to be able to do this. So you'll hear me calling you sir or ma'am sometimes. But notice how Peter ties hoping in God with, being, with women being subject, wives being subject to their husbands. You know, these, these are women who hoped in God. It was, it was a matter of faith. It was not a matter of fear or, or being fearful. You know, being able to put your trust in your husband should take the fear away. Sometimes it might be difficult. Sometimes it might not make sense. Sometimes it will go against the way you are. But... God wants to transform us. He wants us to mold us and make us into the image of of Christ. You know, maybe it'll take a step of faith to be able to submit, but it definitely will take an act of putting your trust in God. And uh, remember, 
from last time. Authority flows from God. Now, Peter next addresses the husbands. At our church in Montana, <laughs> one, one time our, uh, our pastor was, was preaching from this passage, or, or he might have been, I don't remember, he might have been preaching from Ephesians 5. But he went through the part on wives very rapidly, very quickly, and spent almost the whole sermon on the, on the husbands. And uh, he challenged us, as, as he should have. But the funny thing was his, his wife was sitting right on the front row just saying, Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, just about everything he said, he he handed out he handed out this uh, this long list of things husbands should do for their wives, you know. And she's just sitting there looking at it. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> anyway, husbands, love your wives. Um, Paul actually uses uses that that phrase, love your wives. But look at the uh, the first word in verse seven. Peter, Peter starts out likewise, you know, in, in the same way. Just as women are to honor their husbands, husbands are to honor their wives. Amen, right? Amen. Yeah, having observed many marriages, uh, I believe that uh, many husbands have really zeroed in on the part for wives and then done a full stop before hitting the, the part on, on husbands. Stopping before uh, reading verse 7. What's the result? The result is that a lot of husbands cause their wives grief as they make demands of their husbands, uh, of their wives, excuse me, make demands on their wives from a a place of uh, pride, selfishness, demanding uh, respect, subservience, when they really need to be servant leaders good shepherds in, in their own homes. I should say our own homes. And so what happens is this, this kind of tug of war, right? You know, women will say, well, I will, I'll submit to my husband once he starts honoring me and loving me and understanding me. And the, the men say, well, I'll love my wife once she starts submitting to me. And, and what happens? There's there's an impasse. You know, the and, and, you know, our, our natural tendency is to make our own part conditional on, the, on our spouse's part. And I can tell you from experience, that do not work very well. You know, in, in the early years of our marriage, I, I thought, you know, what defined a good marriage was compromise. Marriage is the art of compromise. I thought I was really clever for that. You know, 50-50, each, each spouse should give 50%. And I don't think that anymore. Because what happens with this kind of understanding is the wife thinks that she's giving 80% and her husband's giving 20. The husband is giving, thinking he's giving 80% and the wife is getting 20. And they're each running a tally in their own mind, you know, counting up the things they've done for their spouse, the husband, the wife, the wife, the husband. And then the short list of things that they see their their spouse doing for them we got to get away from that kind of thinking you know we need we need we need a transformation of mind and and heart that that makes us want to like paul says outdo each other in showing honor you know we thing is we each need to give a hundred percent instead of 50 50 it needs to be a hundred a hundred 
Yeah, amen. <laughs> Took me a long time to realize that. Husbands, we, we need to be pastors in our homes. We need, we need to be the shepherds of our families. And, uh, you know, the key, just as it is in, in the church with church leaders, we need to be shepherds who are under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. You know, the, following his lead, following his headship, following his example, the, the, the key is Christ-like love. Paul, I keep talking about uh, Paul here, but Paul says in Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Or that's Ephesians 5.25. Colossians 3.19 is, Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Love your wives. Second, Paul's, or Peter says, uh, be understanding. Be understanding. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Larry King, uh, you know, the, the, the marriage expert, Larry King, he was married eight times. <laughs> this is what he said. Questions about my marriages and divorces always take me to the same place. I once asked Stephen Hawking, the smartest guy in the world, what he didn't understand. He said, women. So, so Larry King says, if the smartest guy in the world can't understand them, what do you expect from me? <laughs> so Paul says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, you know, literally with, with knowledge, with, with profound Christian knowledge. Understand your wives. You know, men, we cannot be dismissive of our wives we're, we're commanded to uh, to know them, to understand them, to know who they are. You know, what, why do they think the way they do? We need to take time and under, understand where they're coming from. Uh, why do they react the way they do? We we need to seek this this understanding. And uh, you know, husbands, do we do we truly know our wives? We might make jokes about this, but you know, it it seems sometimes that we might never quite understand them fully. Maybe there's some truth to that. You know, our, our wives' hearts are deep, deep wells. And it's going to take a lifetime to do this. We need, we need to commit our, our lives, the rest of our lives, to understanding our, our wives and, and appreciating them. You know, we, we need to know what, what makes them tick, what pleases them. Uh, yes, we, we all know our wives well enough to know what buttons to push, right? That's not what he's talking about here. We need to uh, know them so that we can do what comes next, which is to honor our wives. You know, our wives are due respect and, and honor. You know, Peter, Peter says to show honor to the women as the weaker vessels since they're heirs with you of the grace of life. And there's a couple things we need to look at here. You know, first Peter calls the woman the weaker vessel. This is not meant in a derogatory way. You know, this is the, uh, the basis for the husband to treat his wife with understanding and tenderness and, and patience. Uh, next Peter points out our wife, that our wives deserve great honor as, as fellow heirs. You know, Jesus didn't, 
come just to seek and save men. He came to seek and save everyone, the lost. Uh, you know, God didn't, God didn't create an adopted family with, the, with a sign on the door that says no women allowed, you know, no girls. Women deserve full honor as, as those who are chosen and, and redeemed alongside us. You know, our wives are heirs with us in the grace of life. We, we worship together. We pray together. We enjoy the Lord together. And husbands, we need to work harder at praying with our wives I think that's a challenge for for most of us. Let's let's spend the time, let's spend the effort to to pray with our wives, to seek the Lord together. And finally, Peter talks about unhindered prayer. I find this very intriguing. You know, why, why would our prayers be hindered if we don't treat our wives with understanding and honor? What is it that would, would make progress in our prayer lives slow or, or difficult? You know, this, this word for hinder is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 15.22 when he says, I have so often been hindered from coming to you. You know, something gets in the way, something prevents us from doing something. Something prevents us from praying rightly and it's a wrong attitude and wrong behavior towards our wives that does it here. Something gets in the way. There's some other things I, I was just thinking as I was going through this, other things the Bible says uh, hinder our prayers. Well, sin hinders our prayers. Broken relationships hinder our prayers. Disobedience. Uh, David says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. Treating our wives is a matter of, of obedience. You know, it's difficult to come to God in, in adoration and praise and bring our request to him if at the same time we're rebelling against him. It's, it's incongruous. Uh, we, we can't submit to him and, and push him away at the same time. Um, I don't want my prayer life hindered. John Piper points out that if it is, it means that uh, we're not connecting with God and that God himself starts to seem distant and unreal. And I guess, you know, if we don't have a good prayer life, if God is already distant and, and unreal, you know, we might not even notice that it's being hindered. Thing, things might seem just fine and, and normal. Let's wrap this up. Uh, a few years ago, there was a, uh, a dispute in Britain between the foreign office and the treasury. The The argument was about which British ambassadors would be provided with a Rolls-Royce for their official duties in the foreign capital. Stay with me on this. You'll see what, you'll see the point. The Treasury unsurprisingly wanted those wonderful cars restricted to a few, perhaps Washington, Moscow, Paris. The Foreign Office argued for many more based on the following reasoning. Most people in a foreign capital have never seen Britain, they said. 
But when they see this magnificent car gliding through their streets with the United Kingdom flag on the hood, they're going to say to themselves, I've not been to Britain. I don't know much about Britain. But if they can make cars like that there, then Britain must be a wonderful place. In a similar way, Christ's hope is that men and women may say to themselves as they watch a Christian marriage, I've never seen God. Sometimes I wonder when I look at the world if God is good or if there is a God. But if he can make a man and a woman love each other like this, if he can make this husband show costly faithfulness through sickness as well as health, if he can give him resources to love his wife with Christ-like sacrifice, well, he must be a good God. And if Christ can give this wife grace to submit so beautifully with such an attractive spirit, then again, he must be a good God. God's principle is love. God's principle is honoring each other. We need to do that. You know, what a, what a witness we can be in the world if, if we do this, if, if the world sees marriages where husbands and wives relate to each other in, in a way that it was in the beginning when God created the first man and woman. You know, what an example we can, we can set for our children and our grandchildren, if, if they observe two people in a God-honoring marriage, husbands and wives, we need to lay our lives down for those we love. It takes work. It takes dedication. It, it takes determination, but it's worth it. Let's pray. Father, in in the name of Jesus, uh, thank you for the instructions that you've given to us in your word. Uh, I I pray, Lord, for all the marriages represented by this group here today. You know, Lord, strengthen our marriages. Help help us, Lord, husbands and wives, to, uh, to truly honor each other, Lord. I pray for those who are single as well. Uh, Each person, Lord, is valuable in your eyes. Help us all, Lord, to uh, live in a way that that brings you glory. Uh, Bring healing, Lord, where there are wounds among us. And give us understanding, Lord, as to what is your truth. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 11.33 All the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.